let men into the home and women into the world because the world needs women and the home needs men. There's been such a strong focus on women and their contribution and what it is that women need to do in order to achieve equality. And actually, none of it's possible without men shifting and and the sort of box that men have been put in, which is pretty restrictive and often quite punishing in and of itself. Hi everyone, I'm Micah and I'm Selena and we would like to welcome you back to the third season of the Elevator podcast, which highlights positive female role models to empower and inspire you to achieve your full potential. In today's episode, we're joined by Jane Cunningham and Philippa Roberts, authors of Brand Planning, why marketing is still sexist and how to fix it. Jane and Philippa are also the co-founders of Pretty Little Head, the UK's leading research consultancy specializing in female audiences. In this podcast, we discuss what led Jane and Philippa to write their new book, how marketing has been shaping society's expectations of women, and why marketing is still sexist and what to do about it. Good morning and welcome, Jane and Philippa. It is an honor to have you here. Here. Thank you for asking us. So before diving into your work and role, would you mind giving our listeners some background about yourself? Sure, yeah. So so Phil Phil and I worked in advertising for um many years. And then I guess over the course of our years in advertising, we had noticed that the sort of briefs and projects that involved female audiences rather than male audiences were often greeted with less enthusiasm and often treated with less creativity and imagination. When you went to a creative team and you had a brief that was for a laundry product targeting women, you sort of got a slightly glazed eye roll response. Whereas when you went with a a brief which was targeting young men for an alcohol brand or a car brand or a tech brand, there was great excitement and awards opportunities on the horizon, all that kind of stuff. So we we felt that the, the perspective that the industry had on the female audiences and the fact that it was decided that certain categories were only for men and certain categories were only for women, that that felt to us like a real missed opportunity. And also given the amazingly lucrative opportunity that women present, felt like it was not doing clients the best possible service. So we we were commissioned to write a book in 2005 because we had pulled together this sort of theory around how you could do it better and how you could look at female motivation and decision making and create a much more sort of inventive way of of approaching communications. So we wrote our first book and then launched our research practice on the back of that. So over the last 15 years, we've been conducting research with women um, of all ages, mainly in the UK, but also in the US and occasionally in other countries in Europe as well. And we've been researching kind of consistently around all kinds of categories and products from politics to household products to um, public service campaigns to to kind of tech brands. And it's been a fascinating 15 years because over the last 15 years, so many things have happened in amongst female audiences. So you've had the Me Too movement, you've had fourth wave feminism and feminism becoming completely mainstream and feminist concepts becoming very mainstream and part of kind of common vernacular. And of course, within communications and marketing, you've had things like femvertising, you know, all the campaigns saying, you go girl, all that stuff coming to the fore. And so most recently, we've written our third book, and we wrote it because we felt there was an opportunity now to do a bit of a 
state of the nation at look at where women are and therefore where marketing and communications needs to be if it wants to be effective in in um in communicating with them so so that's where we are now and that's where we came from amazing thank you so much for that introduction that was great so you mentioned your last book which is called Transplaining: why marketing is still sexist and how to fix it and in your book you talk you talk about mansplaining so can you explain to the audience what that means and how that led you to choose your title yes of course so um Brandsplaining, the, the title of our book, as you say, comes from um, mansplaining, which probably your um, listeners are, are uh, familiar with. But for those who aren't, it comes from a, a brilliant um, feminist essay by someone, Rebecca Solnit, um, called Men Explain Things to Me. And um, if, if your listeners haven't read it, honestly, they really, really must, because it's, it's such a, an enlightening an amusing and insightful study. But very basically, Rebecca Solnit, who's amazingly distinguished historian and social commentator and feminist, tells the story at the beginning of this essay about how she goes to a party. And she's just written, I think, like her seventh book or something. And she goes to a party and she falls into conversation with a, a, a man who she, who she doesn't know and he so he asks her what what she does and she says oh I've just written this book and the man says to her oh how interesting I I've just heard about a book like this someone it's just been published there's been this book come out and it's absolutely um it's a fascinating book and he starts basically talking to her and she realizes that he is explaining her book back to her and he doesn't realise that she, despite the fact that she said she's written it, he doesn't realise that she's that she's the author and he starts explaining the book back. And she says, no, I wrote the book, but he's so caught up in the, his own authorities that he can't sort of even conceive that she could, could have written it, can't even listen to the fact that that's what she is, that's what she's saying. And she says, after a while, she starts doubting herself after a while obviously he realizes he listens finally realizes that it's her book and so on but but she pulls this out as a sort of really insightful anecdote about how you know that ingrained those biases are in the way that we all are and the way in which we all converse and communicate for us that sort of unequal relationship between the the sort of voice of authority and the audience that she experienced in that incident is absolutely typical of how brands talk to their female audiences. They're so caught up with themselves and their own authority that they continue to talk down to female audiences, not listening to them properly, constantly telling them what it is that they need to be, how they need to be other and how therefore what they are is not enough. And it's sort of hardwired almost into the factory settings, really, of the way the industry runs. And so brandsplaining is our effort, really, to unearth those biases and pull them out into the light and say, look, this is what's happening. If you're a woman, you're on the receiving end of this stuff all the time and be aware of what it is that's happening and, and why. That was really interesting. So I had two questions. First of all, in this book, I assume then you've, you've undertaken some studies. And then so the second question was then, 
So what's the first step then in, in fixing it? I mean, I guess that there are a few kind of different studies that have gone into the bit, which helped us arrive at the conclusion that it is still sexist. We did a study with a company called Mindshare, who's a media company, which was a it was a survey of 14,000 women across the world, asking them questions about their aspirations, the things that they prioritise, about the things that they value, both about themselves and in life more generally, and also how they think and feel about marketing that tries to, that is attempting to persuade them to buy products. Then we also did a content analysis, which is basically when you Take, we took hundreds of ads from the US, Australia and the UK and we wrote a basically a, a sort of questionnaire for ourselves, which is a content analysis. You just write down all the things that you're seeking to spot in the communications that would suggest it's conforming to a sort of old model of what women are and what they're and, and, and in particular that if advertising that's telling women how they should be or how they should be different. So for example, you would have, is there a woman who conforms to this sort of classic beauty ideal, which is tends to be thin, white? Is there a woman in it looking pleasing, always smiling? Is the woman in a domestic setting? Is she in a work setting? And then we went sort of methodically through hundreds of ads, tick boxing, <laughs> where those um, elements were present in the advertising. And then, of course, I guess over the last 15 years, we've been in the market, we do research all the time, qualitative research. So we're kind of week in, week out talking to women about marketing, advertising, product services, What and in particular, I guess, the context of their lives and how those product services and advertising fit in with or not with their lives. So I guess we, we pulled on all of that data, that qualitative soft data, and then sort of matched it with the harder data from the survey and from the content analysis first part of the book talks about the base settings that Phil was talking about, this notion of marketing setting itself up as being in charge of the relationship that it has with women and in a position to tell women how they should be and that there's a very particular type of sets of behaviour and ways of looking that marketing likes to tell women that they need to conform with that was set right back in the 1950s. In part two, we talk about how many of those principles are still in play, but in slightly sneakier ways. So perhaps, you know, you don't have ads that are saying explicitly you've got to be thinner in the same way you might have in the 1950s. But now you have sort of clean eating and wellness products, which are effectively saying the same thing with a very thin woman looking like she conforms to the beauty ideal, but talking about health rather than thinness. But the outtake is the same, that if you don't look like her, you're not good enough. And therefore, you need to eat these products or buy these products in order to to be like her. Or for an exact, for example, I guess, where previously you would have only seen women in in ads for laundry products or for baby care products. Now you do see men, but quite often they're sort of just there in the background or if the ads are specifically targeting men, they're much more creative. So, you know, they have John Legend singing and dancing for Pampers, you know, in a Pampers commercial, whereas women are still being served up the usual sort of formulaic stuff, which suggests, you know, women don't need to be entertained or persuaded. They're just there sort of on receive, waiting to be told the latest absorbency message from a um, from a baby care brand. So, so we talk about the, the the sort of, I guess, the more overt things that still exist in, in marketing communications, which we would describe as sexist, that are telling women how to be. And then we also look at the sneakier ways that that happens. And we would include in that a lot of the sort of femvertising stuff, which 
purports to be championing women and on women's side. And a lot of it has been very well meant and, and has actually been very good in terms of shifting representation of women. So you do see more women of colour, you do see women of different shapes and sizes in marketing now, and that's been a genuine advancement. But at the same time, a lot of it is still the brand sort of telling women how to be, saying, hey, girls, it's okay to be um, to be bigger. Don't worry about it. As if it's there to tell women how they should be thinking and feeling about themselves. Or saying to women, be bold, be brave. But it's all the same thing. It's brands telling women how to be and that if they're not brave, they're not good enough. So there's a sort of consistent thing in communications which which suggests that women need to change and they need to change themselves, either their appearance or their mindset. Whereas marketing and advertising that targets men kind of very rarely does that. In fact, men are often presented as very powerful and very able. So that was the study and that's the way that we sort of measured it, I guess, was looking at the very overt stuff of the past and then looking at the at the sneakier ways that it happens currently. Yeah, I had just a question about empowerment because that's what's happening at the moment, right? So if you can just touch on that a little bit more, that would be great. Well, as Jane says, really, I mean, the empowerment whole kind of the period of empowerment communications, which has really been going on since 2012, probably. I mean, Dove was the, was the pioneer of it all. There's loads of things that has been very progressive and helpful about it. You know, so the, the Dove thing has, has genuinely done a lot of really interesting and helpful work to, A, kind of pull into the light the beauty industry tricks and you know that well I mean they're the, probably the worst brand explainers aren't they talking you know in that sort of awful pseudoscience telling the audience in those pretend kind of bullshit science terms why they need to believe something and, and you know spinning out all these perfectionist narratives which all have at their base this idea that what you are is not enough so, you know, Dove has done a wonderful thing about pulling all that into the light and, and has kind of properly shifted the dial in the category so that, that that kind of old school, you know, now for the science bit stuff is much more rare these days. Nike's done wonderful stuff for, in women's sport, kind of opened up a much more progressive and positive and open conversation. So there's loads of examples of where, where brands adopting this empowerment and such an awful word empowerment communication that you know have, have have genuinely done things that are that are helpful but um that none of that should should blind us to to what is really going on actually the the empowerment is really the marketing arm of of that corporate feminist thing that sort of mashup of of feminism with the liberal idea of the individual can do anything with the right amount of grit and determination and self-focus and um, strength the individual can crack through any boundaries and and barriers that stand in their way and it's just a matter of leaning into the thing and and uh, being sufficiently resilient and and um, resourceful and whilst you know to, to an extent is a progressive narrative the thing that it doesn't do is that it continues to put the onus on the individual to change and says it's down to you to change to see things differently to look at the world differently you know in empowerment terms be bold be strong don't say sorry 
uh, stand up for who you are, but it doesn't address the systemic issues that continue to put a weight of responsibility onto women and continue to reinforce and perpetuate all the these negative things. So it says to the individual, oh yes, you need to change, but it doesn't look at it, the, the system is, does not look at itself and say, right, genuinely, how, do, how does the system need to change? And that's very, very true in, mar in marketing, that it's very easy for brands to say to their audience, oh, look at this differently, think differently about it change yourself and in the empowerment narrative it's often you change your change your attitude you know whereas it used to be in the sort of 20th century change your body now it's saying that change your mind but it's still letting brands continue and letting categories continue to perpetuate the old narratives and operate in the same ways often and increasingly with this kind of camouflage of, of we're doing the right thing but underneath it all continuing to peddle the same old stuff. Thank you for that explanation. Um, that is really interesting. And as Selena said before as well, like for us, that's not really something very obvious because we're not in that area. So then, I mean, reading about you and about the book and hearing about that, that's that's really eye-opening. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, so uh, do you maybe have some examples for us where brands have marketed women in more positive uh, ways? When we were writing the book, we were kind of seeking inspiration because, as you say, it's all very well just sort of saying, right, you know, it's, it's all wrong, you know, it's all got to change. But unless you can give people some instructions about how to change, it's um, not, not very fair because most of the time a lot of this stuff is happening really unconsciously. You know, nobody's sitting around in agencies or in client companies you know, trying to be deliberately trying to be sexist. If anything, quite the opposite is true. Everybody really wants to be able to do it the right way. We found one of the really great sources of inspiration in terms of sort of role model brands, if you like, for, for a way forward were, um, came from brands that were created originally by women because a lot of the sort of really big um, female brands come from those big corporates, don't they? Which inevitably you could sort of get stuck in ways of doing things it's very hard to change when you're in a, a very sort of big organization whereas what's happened because of the growth of the internet and particularly the willingness of women to buy clothes beauty products and things online what's happened is that direct to consumer brands created by women have been able to make a dent in these markets and get a presence in these markets that previously wouldn't have been possible because they would have had to rely on retailer relationships getting distribution in shops and actually now they don't have to rely on those structures you have these direct to consumer brands which are um cutting through um and created by women and women who have done that thing that we think is what everybody needs to do which is to look at the category look at the sort of product sector that you're in and figure out what is it about the way that that market presents itself to women that diminishes them or undermines them or makes them feel like they need to change or they need to be better or to do better or to think differently. And brands that have done that would be, I guess, a good example would be something like Glossier, you know, the, the female beauty brand which came into the market. There was a very different sort of approach. So rather than saying to women, beauty is about perfecting yourself and here's some perfectionist idea of what women should look like and here are some products to help you live up to it. Glossier said that it's about, you know, ex expressing the best version of you instead of sort of trying to 
blind the audience with the as the cod science as philippa said that you see in the beauty industry and having hundreds and thousands of different products each with a sort of tiny little incremental advantage or difference using social media to find out what it is that women on the ground really want from a mascara from a beauty from a blusher from a cream foundation and then developing quite simple product lines that exact exactly meet the needs of what women are women are saying and they and they obviously have much more diverse representations of women in their marketing communications then there are brands like freedom mom which isn't that well known here but it's a great american brand a baby care brand which is instead of you know if you look at the baby care market and one of the most kind of punishing perfectionist ideals is this idea of the perfect mother and that women should be constantly sort of happy when their mothers should feel that it's a really easy breezy lifestyle choice to have a baby whereas in fact of course when you have a baby it's a very difficult time of life the transition is often very hard physically it can be very difficult for women and emotionally it's often quite difficult to make that transition it's a more complex picture than the picture that marketing presented and because of that lots of women will say that they feel like failures when they don't behave and seem to feel like the way that that image that that perfect mom image that gets projected and freedom mom um has a, a completely alternative presentation of motherhood which is much more true to the way women are and they also then develop a really ingenious product line that really helps solve those problems so brands like that feel like they're very, very pro- progressive and you know women respond very positive very very positively to those those presentations of their their actual kind of lived experiences and then there's brands like Starling Bank which is a, a brand which was brought to the market by a woman called Anne Bowden who had previously worked in she'd worked at Allied Irish banks and in many of the big big banks in the city and she felt that the banking industry was failing customers because it was seeking to retain control of the relationship that it had with customers instead of doing what tech was making possible which was to cede and pass control back to the customer of their own money giving them transparency and visibility and she did that on the basis of kind of research that she had done often with women herself but also we feel as a woman she was able to step outside of the very narrow perspective that the banking industry has which is created by there being so many um men and i mean it's just not the fact that they're men it's just the function of only having one one experience really dictating the pace of the market and saying what's important and what isn't important in the market she with her alternative perspective was able to bring starling bank bank to the market we would say that these female made brands you know bumble would be the same in the dating industry you know versus tinder putting women back in control of their love lives these brands which which look at the market and really kind of try to think and and often because they're women they're able to see where it's going wrong and it's not to say that men couldn't do that but it's just that they seem to have got there first because they have an intuitive understanding of where those markets are not aligning and fitting with the way women really are as a consequence they're doing two things one they are literally directly sort of biting chunks out of those out of those markets and sort of nibbling away at the big the big players but indirectly they're starting to throw into relief just how outmoded those those um, old ways of doing things are so the sort of best example probably would be third love or the new underwear brands like thinks 
versus Victoria's Secret. So Victoria's Secret is their sort of the classic perfectionist ideal of of womanhood very much through the male lens and then all of these new underwear brands saying actually it's not about sort of scratchy soft porn underwear it's about comfort and yes it can be sexy and can make you feel sexy but it doesn't have to be a picture of womanhood which is almost exclusively for men so underwear for the wearer not for the not for the viewer if you like. women are starting to you know reject those um those old narratives that the traditional brands have have kind of consistently played out in their marketing and actually social media for all the ills that it may bring in some ways has also been a phenomenal channel for women because obviously prior to social media all of the channels were owned by men run by men edited by men and women's voices were therefore often edited out of the conversations around marketing and how women got presented whereas social media has presented this opportunity for women to express how that sort of stuff really makes them feel and so the male run brands are being forced to hear it so I think there is there's lots of hope which is partly you know we want the book to be a, a sort of a hopeful book to say that there is lots of opportunity for change to happen but most of it has to come out of people listening, men and women listening to women and what it is that they're actually kind of feeling and how they're being made to feel by advertising and marketing. Yeah, amazing. We can see this movement. I mean, yeah, like marketing is like this huge area, which hopefully in the, in the future will, will continue to grow. But yeah, also in science, we see this. I mean, there's now people like more female leaders than years before, but there's still so much to do. And we so hope it will change as well. Well, exactly as you say, it is a, a, a brilliant thing, isn't it? That once this stuff gets pulled out and put under the spotlight and is sort of revealed for what it is, change can happen really impressively hopefully fast and it might be you know it feels like marketing is a long way from science but at the same time it's part of culture isn't it it's part of you know just as film is just as tv is you know they say i don't know 10,000 messages a day we're consuming marketing messages we're consuming in one way or another you know if we can shift that and shift that way that women get presented it should have an impact on on everything including the science community and every other community. Absolutely. And also like how the way science is communicated can be really sexist. Yes. And that, you know, through COVID, we, we sort of saw that, you know, because it brought light on so many aspects of, of science as well. And yeah, I think marketing is everywhere, but there's also marketing in science, you know, so that's also like a big topic. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. To that aspect, I had another question as well, when it comes to factors such as race and age. So how did this um, fall short in marketing? Well, re I mean, representation has improved. We do think that there has been a lot of progress on representation of women of colour within marketing. It's still pretty tokenistic. So you rarely see a woman of colour in a sort of starring role, if you like, in marketing and advertising. You do see some wonderful brands that are, are coming to the market which are created by women of colour for women of colour particularly in beauty and hair care a market that was completely ignored for many years age is still a real sort of nascent territory for for marketing and we take a special interest actually and have done quite a lot of work around older women and when we say older women we mean kind of 55 plus but right up to sort of women in their 80s we talk to in our research 
and they feel completely unrepresented in in marketing and actually you know in the book we talk about how only one in ten ads feature a woman over 50 and 50 isn't very old and yet about 40 percent of the population is over 50 so they're very very unrepresented given how valuable they are as an audience and given how present they are as a part of the population you know when you look at the composition of marketing only six percent of people who work in marketing are over 50 and in the creative in part of the advertising industries the people are actually writing the ads there is a very strong skew to young men and so the idea of targeting a woman over 50 or a woman in her 60s or a woman in her 70s or 80s, I mean, it must feel like an alien land to them, you know. So there needs to be huge progress in terms of representation within the industry of women who are older in order for that them to be able to sort of imagine brands for that audience and marketing and, and advertising that's going to work for that audience. But as ever, those kind of intersections are where it's at its at its worst. So where where race meets female, where age meets female, uh, where disability meets female, that's where the representation is at its kind of most missing, if you like. Absolutely. I think that's so interesting, especially around the menopause. If you see some of the marketing around the menopause tends to be quite sexist. So you can tell that it's being seen from a younger men's perspective sometimes. I mean, the menopause is interesting. That has become a really sort of big issue and a much more discussed issue than it, than it had been. But again, it's kind of, you know, representing older women. It's always about a sort of problem. You know, when you look at when, when we talk to women, what happens with women is they go through all the agonies of teenagedom and the you know the sort of excitements and also disappointments of of single life and then you know if they choose to have children the trials and tribulations of being a mother um and actually when all that is passed and they enter into that part of their life where they have they feel comfortable in their own skin usually for the first ever time and they have put to one side the burden of looking after everybody else all the time they have never been happier so this sort of representation of women now, which is, OK, so now we're talk, we're going to talk about older women, but we're going to talk about how terrible it is and how awful the menopause is. I'm not saying that they sh that shouldn't be discussed, but it's not the only thing that happens to women in their 50s. The other thing that happens is that they feel liberated and, you know, thrilled to at last be able to live life on their own terms. And they've thrown off the shackles of caring whether they're a size eight or a size 10 or a size 12 or whatever it might be. And... Um, that is very undiscussed and unrepresented, is that actually being an older woman is absolutely bloody brilliant for a lot of women. So happy to hear um amazing way, I think, to end our episode. I can't believe yeah. it's out of time, Bren. <laughs> yeah, we're so interesting. I have so many more questions. <laughs> uh, um, but I'm oh. going to ask the, the final question that we ask all our guests. It's our signature question. So what is your favourite word or quote and why? And we have two guests, and then we're going to have two answers. That's great. <laughs> My favourite quote is um, probably let men into the home and women into the world because the world needs women and the home needs men. And because I think there, there is a sort of, there's been such a strong focus on women and their contribution and what it is that women need to do in order to achieve equality. And actually none of it's possible without men shifting and, and the sort of box that men have been put in, which is pretty restrictive and often quite punishing in and of itself, without a change 
a change in 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 the way that men see themselves and the way they see see what it is that they have to contribute it's going to be very hard for women to to change my one is um from middle march george Eliot says says the effect of her being on those around her was incalculably diffusive for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who live faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs and that has always struck me as a really um, brilliant definition of the contribution of so many women on a, every single minute of the day making doing those unhistoric acts and the historic acts that have traditionally been the sort of, um, uh, you know, where men take the stage and tell the world how wonderful they are. And, and actually, it often those unhistoric acts that happen all the time on a daily basis, usually by women, that actually make a big difference to the happiness and good in, in the world. That is a great Absolutely. quote. Yeah, definitely yeah. agree. Thank you that. so much, both of you. That was amazing. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. We really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jane and Philippa as much as we did. I think we definitely learned a lot about sexism in past and current marketing strategies, right? Yes, definitely. I think it was really eye-opening and we really hope that you also learn what can be done to reduce that issue. If you want to learn more about um, Jane and Philippe's work, you'll find links to their website and other useful resources, including their book, mentioned here in the show notes. And as always, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to this podcast, as well as share it around you so that we can reach and empower more people to elevate their lives. If you wish to support our work, please check out our link tree where you can find a link to donate. See you next week. Bye.